Blue 80. And I snap the ball, and there's just this horrific splash. It's time to join the stink tank. The analytics people that I hate, I hate your guts. They don't play football, they play quarterback. I'd be the easiest guy in the world to kidnap. Mark Schlereth. This stinks! Every Tuesday with Wyman and Bob. All right, Dave, buckle up. Here it comes. Mark Slayer. Is he on the line? <laughs> I believe don't, he is. don't let him hear that. <laughs> He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He won the only Mark Schlereth. How are you, man? I am good. How are you guys? We're doing we're doing great. We're doing great. I gotta first yeah. of all, before we get into all the serious football talk, I gotta give you kudos. I sent I sent one of your tweets to uh Dave over the weekend where somebody had shown you they sent you a picture of a jersey they bought for their their father, and it was a Schlereth jersey. And you said, uh-huh. and I think I've seen you do this on a couple of occasions, but you you tell the person, hey, send it to me. I'll personalize it, and I'll send it back to you, which that's very cool. That's a very cool gesture on your oh. part, I have to say. Uh, I mean, that's easy. That's the least you can do. Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to, like, I mean, it's got to be hard. First off, they got to take, a, like, a Bubby Brister jersey, six, <laughs> and then they got to find somebody that had a nine, and they got to piece those damn things together to create a Schlereth jersey. Yeah, not many of those around. So if you're going to take the time to piece it all together, I, I certainly could take the time. It's the least I can do. By the way, it, to, to sign it. By the way, who who's the Seattle Seahawks head coach? What, 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 are we, what are we doing over there in Seattle? We I don't know. know this stuff. We really don't know yet. We're all wondering along with everybody else. Who should it be, in your opinion? I, who, who, have they, who have they interviewed? Everybody. Ben, well, not uh, they can't talk to Mike McDonald because they didn't request an interview prior to the playoffs. Thus, they can't talk to him until the Ravens are out of it. Uh, they've talked to Ben Johnson, Dan Quinn. Uh, Slowick? Slowick, Bobby Probably Slowick. Probably by now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Giro Evero, who you might know. Yeah, I do know. I know. I know Giro. I know pretty much all those guys. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. I, I would feel like after all the years of of Pete Carroll and having a defensive mindset and a defensive head coach, that they might go the the offensive guy and they might go that direction. Um, I don't know that, but that, that just is a gut feeling. I like Bobby Slowick a lot. Uh, had a chance to sit down with him and talk to Bobby. Um, and, I, and I really like Ben Johnson. I think Ben Johnson's a, a really buttoned-up play caller, does a great job putting his players in great positions to win. So, you know, I like those two offensive, offensive kind of minded coaches. Love Dan Quinn, though, as a dude. Dan is one of the great ones. Um, yeah, you guys, well, you got plenty of options. You know, you got plenty of options. So, hey, Mark, if it was you, and and you hired you hired the head coach, how do you go about mm-hmm. you know selecting the coordinators, or are you you picking somebody you trust and just say, hey, go go fill out your staff, or are you saying, hey, we're taking you as the head coach with this in mind? It's a, a collaboration. What what would you do? Right. Well, I want guys. You know, I, I want guys to be empowered, and I. Like you're spending 16, 18 hours a day with guys. I want it to be guys that one challenge you, but that you get along with. That you're that you want to, you know, you want to put the work in with, right? So, um, you know, there's got to be there's got to be healthy dissension. Like you've got to be able to argue things out and and hash things out. Um, but you have to have the same philosophical approach. Like that to me is is the main thing to be lockstep in what you believe, what you want to accomplish, the direction 
that you want your franchise to go in. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a really important aspect of putting a staff together to make sure that, that we are in lockstep, not only like offensively or defensively, but from a complementary standpoint. Like how is our defense going to complement what we do on the offensive side of the ball? And I always think that that's one of those things that's a really important kind of takeaway that not a lot of people talk about. Not, and I'll give you a, like a, for instance, uh, back in the day, like with, like with the Baltimore Ravens, even now, the Baltimore Ravens are, are an ex, like an exceptionally tough physical football team, but they put pressure on opponents. They, they put pressure early on opponents and early downs. They create, you know, second down and long situations. And, Ultimately, they do that stuff, and their offense can possess the ball, run the ball, Lamar can make plays, extend plays. And before you know it, you get into these situations where, you know, you've limited people's possessions offensively. You've got a, you know, a seven to 10 point lead. And as an opponent, you feel like, shoot, you know, we're going to get seven possessions in this game. And it takes you out of your it takes you out of your thought process. It takes you out of your game plan. And I think the, the complementary nature of what we're doing on the defensive side of the ball and and how we're built on the offensive side of the ball, I think those things have to be thought uh, about as you're as you're putting a staff together. Hey, Mark, this is something we've talked about, and I'm curious to get your take. Bill Belichick, widely considered the greatest coach ever in the history of the league, is available, and he's he's had multiple interviews with the uh, Atlanta, with the Atlanta Falcons. Pete Carroll, very accomplished, Super Bowl title, been to two of them. He's won a national title. He's a hell of a coach, and he was making it clear he'd like to, you know, investigate that San, the San Diego, the LA Chargers job. But it sounds like they want Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Is it weird to you that you've got two coaches that are as accomplished as Belichick and Pete Carroll, and there seems to be real, relatively little to no interest in either? Is that age that, that's holding them back, or what, what do you think? Is everybody's just hot on the new young coordinators that they think can be around for a number of years? What do you what do you chalk it up to? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a real trend um, from coaches to to go young, and I think there's there's part of it is cost constraints, right? We're not going to have to, like Bill Belichick, you're going to have to pay top dollar to, well, you know, for a guy that is young like Bobby Sloak or, or Ben Johnson, you can probably get away with a little bit less early in their career, you know, and it's the second contract where they're going to make the majority of their money. Uh, the other thing is, and I tell you guys this all the time, you know, there's this misnomer from owners that um, young guys and young coaches communicate better with today's player. Like you can either communicate or you can't. The age has nothing to do. Like, there's nobody better at communicating with his players than Wade Phillips was as a coordinator. The guy was awesome. His players loved playing for him. Like, so I, I don't buy into that. Oh, my young guy knows. You know, he he knows how to send emojis, so he'll be great <laughs> at communicating with my young players. Like that that doesn't mean anything to me. I I need to put the phones down and start having real heart-to-heart conversations. I, I need to connect with people. I need, like, that's part of I think it's one of the, the secrets of, of Dan Campbell. I always say this. Um, we're all in one business. It's a relationship business. And, you know, whether it's you guys doing radio or me doing radio or television or, or you as a coach, uh, you're either in the relationship business or you're going out of business. You're either developing those businesses and, and you're working those things together 
or you're going out of business um, because nobody wants to be around you. So, like, I, I just don't buy into that. Well, the young guys are going to be able to resonate with our younger players uh, more readily. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that garbage. Yeah, I, that, that's a great point. And, you know, honestly, you could say that, hey, these guys are looking at a guys about my age and you're telling me what to do. Uh, maybe that doesn't work. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it just seems, uh, it seems like we've kind of categorized those people and, and, you know, that way we can compartmentalize it into our little tiny brains and understand everything, right? You connect the dots. And speaking of that, I was watching the, the McAfee show this morning. They had George Kittle on. And another thing and kind of a theme is that everybody wants to discount Brock Purdy. And, you know, and he was kind of talking about that a little bit, but it does, you know, I, I feel like it's, um, it's one of those uh, situations where like this weekend, you're going to have the number one pick in the draft in what, 2017 versus the, the last pick in the draft. And people want to categorize that in their brains and make it work like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this guy's eventually not going to be that good. And it's more about the system. I'm talking about Brock Purdy. And, you know, yeah. it's because they, they want to like connect the dots. Like, well, this can't be, I mean, he's the the last pick of the draft but yeah Kittle was was defending him in that way and saying how you know this guy how he works and uh yeah it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon that people want to constantly discount Brock Purdy yeah well I mean go to go to divisional the divisional round of the playoffs and you know I, I got this takeaway from everybody well I mean if you want you know you want to make it into the playoffs you got to have a first round quarterback look every for every quarterback was a first rounder other than Brock Purdy well, there you have it. That that just proves it, right? Well, really, how about all the first rounders that didn't make it? How about all the first rounders like uh, Baker Mayfield that are playing for their fourth team right now? Mm. You think they feel like Baker Mayfield was a success in Cleveland, right? Was 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 Jerry Goff a success with Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I don't right. buy into that all that garbage. And by the way, you know, eighty percent of the quarterbacks are taken in the first round. So naturally, if you're if you if your workforce is all taken in the first round. The majority of quarterbacks are going to be what? First rounders. And, you know, 50% of them, more than 50% of them, uh, like 66% of them, or seven, now more like 75% of them ultimately are failures. So, I, you know, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that narrative of we've got to get one in the first round. you got to get one that can operate an offense. And, you know, you talk to Brock Purdy. I talked to him. I asked him, hey, I said to him exactly this, game manager. When you hear that, what do you think about? And he says to me, anybody who says that about me doesn't watch film. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, and it wasn't that he was being arrogant or anything, but he it, he had his back bowed a little bit. Yeah. And um, either his back bowed or his loins girded. <laughs> Can you bow your back without girding your loins? Or do you have, is that simultaneous? Like when your back bows, your loins automatically girdle. Dave's trying to do it know, right I'm, now. I'm trying it. I don't know the answer. You're going to crash the pants. I'm trying it that day. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. You will, you will put a bacon strip in your underpants. You do that. So stop right now. There is no need for you to gird or bow. Let's leave That's the loins out of it, huh? Just, yeah, <laughs> Dave, exactly. Dave's over there in his chair trying to do it. <laughs> but anyhow, um, yeah, like I, the, the guy was the guy was phenomenal. And think about this, like you know that whole statistic you saw with Kyle Shanahan when when they're down by three or more, they, he was one in thirty-two in the fourth quarter uh, of comebacks. 
Well, they're built to be a bully. They're built off their run game and off their play action stuff off of that. And when you talk to, to guys within that organization, I think if, if they're having an honest moment with you, they'll tell you we're not the best route runners. Like our guys aren't the best route runners in a bit. George Kittle is not the best route running tight end in football. Now he's to me he's one of the best tight ends in football because man, that guy is complete. But you know, they'll tell you Debo Samuel, not the best route runner in football. Like he's that's not what he does. But they set up all those routes. They set it up off their play action, off their ability to to get you out of position with their motions and their shifts. When you're down, what do you have to do? You got to get in gun. You got to get in static formations, and you got to beat guys running routes and throwing the football. It's not how they're built. And so, the fact that they were able to come back in the fourth quarter and put a drive together, a game-winning drive together, says a lot about Brock Purdy when he was having you know, arguably a really off day, had some errant throws, and he was getting pressured um, because they couldn't run the ball. So it was the first time where he was getting knocked around a bit too. So I I thought that was big. I thought the bigger thing for me, and I don't know how you felt, Dave, was I thought defensively they got embarrassed a little bit. I thought that Green Bay, you know, ran the ball on them uh, in their their transportation crack-toss series. Uh, They captured the edge. Their DBs didn't replace once one guy cracked. They didn't come up and set a new edge. They didn't do a very good job of that. I thought their defensive line, um, you know, was was not as dominant as they usually are. And I thought defensively, like you look at uh, Green Bay drove down the, the field twice. In the first quarter, San Francisco got one possession in the first quarter. One. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that'll take you out of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish as well. So, I thought defensively they didn't play very well in that game. And um, and I think that's probably a good thing for San Francisco because I just know Fred Warner and those guys, um, they'll take that personally because they did not play the type of game that they're used to playing. Hey, Mark, what was your, your takeaway from that Bucks lions game? Uh, you know, Todd Bowles taking some heat because, you know, Jared Goff kind of screwed up the kneel down. He, they still had 14 seconds left on the play clock. Uh, he kneeled down with 37 seconds, and the Bucks had a timeout. So, you know, yeah. it, it's it, – and Todd Bowles is sticking to his story of, hey, listen, man, the, you know when the game is over, and the game was over. Right. If you're a player, does that bother you if you're a player on the Bucks, or you, are you in agreement with that? No, I I think that is two guys that played in the league for a long time as head coaches that really respect each other. And, like, you tip your cap and you say, hey, man, I understand that it's over and I understand you guys can extend this thing out and do all that stuff. But that, that, that thing didn't bother me. I'm not going to dive at your legs of your center who's already hurt and try to create a fumble or what. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game. You guys beat us. And, um, and I know when it's over, I, that, that was like, that was, that was the analytics people that were shouting from the mountaintops. Let me just tell you, it was math nerds. And you know, guys, I've told you this. I hate those people. Yeah. You, you hate their guts. So, you hate their guts. Yeah, Their no. guts are not the, no friend of mine. Their guts are no friends of mine. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, it's funny. I went, I had the game recorded and I went back and cause I didn't really pay attention at the end. I'm kind of checked uh, out and. I didn't. It didn't scream to me that um, that you know he should have he should have used that last time out. But anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, so yeah, I'm the same way. Like I've been in enough of those victory formations that like, hey, dude, this this yeah, okay, it's over. We we get it. Like, 
Oh, like, well, I've been in enough of those. That... Aren't you special? You know, I was on the other <laughs> side. I was on the other side of those victory formations. Looking at them from afar going, that must be fun. Listen to Mark. Oh, I've been yeah. in so many of those victory formations. Listen to you. <laughs> well, wait. Hey, when you just constantly win games and championships, I mean, I'm sorry about it. <laughs> we I know, was great. We know you have three rings, <laughs> one on the middle finger. Yeah. Dave, one of, yeah. one of, one of right. his most recent tweets was, you count all the championships you've won, Robert, and then I'll count all the championships I've been a part of, and we'll compare them. You go first. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, he, that guy never got back to me, by the way. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> uh, well, hey, let me, let me ask you this. When, when you look at um, the one maybe most impressive element of the playoffs to me is the Baltimore defense. And, and it just yeah. it just seems like, that's what the Seahawks need. Like they play, and I'd say San Francisco. You mentioned they didn't play great. They weren't like flying around. But you look at Baltimore, and there was a play where there was a tackle uh, made by two defensive tackles out, you know, by the sidelines. It just, it just feels like those guys are coached up really well, and they just fly around the field. And a lot of that is because they don't have anything to think about, and it just makes sense to them. Does that is that what you see with their defense, or is it just purely personnel yeah well i mean it's a little bit of everything i mean obviously they've got two middle linebackers one of the things that i think they do probably a better job um of doing than than anybody else i watch is those two guys can flat run and i think one of the things they've done a good job of is is under mike mcdonald uh attacking your protections and so you know anytime you walk up as a linebacker and you get in an a gap um like there's a, a weakness that gets stressed. If we pick you up, there's a hole behind you that we can throw it into, right? And so if we just run a slant there um, and we get that inside release, like you guys are screwed. We're going to get 12 yards on that. Um, like that's, and it's easy, right? That's like stealing. So they have the ability to walk up and make you go man, make you the declare man. So now all of a sudden my slides are gone. And now to bring edge pressure, and those two guys can fly out of there and still cover the slants. Mm. So from a personnel standpoint, a scheme standpoint, they got you in those situations because of their athleticism and their ability there. The other thing I think they do a great job of, Dave, is is attacking your protection from the standpoint of you being on the line of scrimmage and your quarterback identifying guys that he wants the offensive line to go to. And then they're dialed in enough to be able to bring pressure or simulated pressure from the opposite side. And they do that all the time. And, you know, in our day, Dave, the quarterbacks weren't allowed to call the protections. We didn't allow that stuff. Like you guys just, you we're, we'll dictate where we're going and you pick up, you know, you pick up the hot guys. Like that's on you. And in today's football, and it drives me crazy. You know, I hear offensive coordinators talk about this all the time. We want premium plays. We want to be in the perfect play versus the defense. Like, that's not how football works. You're mm-hmm. never in the perfect play. You got to out execute people. And so to me, I think a lot of my game plan, if I'm Kansas city is to break the huddle, having declared what we're going to do in protection and then basically run that protection and don't let them adjust their blitz schemes and their simulated pressures off of the calls we make at the line of scrimmage, call them in the huddle, live with them. And there's too many there's too many teams that just refuse to do that because and I think this is part of we want to be smarter than everybody else. Yes. And, and they uh, try to do is, too much. Is, 
Right. And this is a game that was invented by PE majors, played by PE majors. We're not that smart. Like none of us are. (laughs) So let's just like, just let's go ahead. I know we like to complicate it, make it as convoluted as possible. And Oh, it's so hard. Listen, like, like I always look at route combinations, like, you know, the quarterbacks always try to make it look like, Oh, that's just really hard. You know, we got to, Oh, really? Is it like if the safety plays the (laughs) over route, throw the post. If he plays the deep, throw the overall. Oh, we, we put one guy in conflict. Oh, it's so confusing. Nobody could possibly understand it. We're so smart. We're quarterbacks. You guys are as dumb as the rest of us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He is Mark Schlereth. He's with us each and every week. Always a fun conversation. You can follow him on Twitter. I would say uh, interact at your own risk. So at your own risk because he'll he'll let you know he'll let you know (laughs) i love that he said that guy hasn't gotten back to me yet (laughs) (laughs) so good mark we appreciate you man as always have a great week we'll talk to you next week anytime see you guys take care there you go mark schlereth uh yeah watching him go at people that'll challenge him on twitter is always very funny yeah, he doesn't mind stooping. No, know, a no, bit. no. Yeah. There's no high. He'll he'll go low road with you. Yeah, <laughs> he'll bring it. He'll there's, bring it. There's no there's no high road, uh, low road. It's just, <laughs> when it comes to comedy. Uh, yeah, I, I just love when it's somebody chat. Well, what do you know? You haven't played in X amount of time. Whatever. What, you know, whatever they're trying to challenge him with, and then he, well, I'll count all the championship games and championship situations I've been a part of. You count yours, and we'll compare. Yeah. You go first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. All right. Our thanks to Mark Schlereth. If you guys missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up, there are two distinct paths the Seahawks can take in the first round of the draft, and one would say a lot about the direction of the franchise. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Our thanks once again to Mark Schlereth, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys missed that, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Just click the podcast tab. Click on our lovely picture there. When are they going to put the new picture? We took new pictures, like... I don't know, what was it, like six months ago or something like that? Yeah, we did. Uh, Is that the weird one where they, like, flipped our faces around or something? That's the one that's on there now. Yeah. Um, but we took new ones, and I don't know where they went. <laughs> I don't know. There seemed to be some urgency in getting them done, and nothing's happened with them. I don't know who's in charge of that. But anyway, click on that picture there, and then uh, it'll be right there waiting for you after the show. Make sure you click subscribe. That's the key to all of it, because then you don't have to do anything after that. You never have to worry about these instructions again. It's beautiful. A little bit of news coming out of the world of baseball. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Todd Helton elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So congratulations to all three of those. Longtime Seattle Mariner, Adrian Beltre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going to go in as a Mariner. I just, just a guess on my part. Who did he have the – he had a big uh, good relationship with Felix, right? Was oh, yeah, yeah. Those two that – Great yeah. friends, great yeah. friends. But I'm going to go ahead and say he'll go in as a Texas Ranger. I, yeah. would, I would imagine that's how that will happen. But uh, congrats to those guys. So, again, in case you're just tuning in, you had not seen it, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton uh, all have been elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, uh, taking a look at some of the mock drafts and things like that are interesting right now. It's still very early. I said, you know, Bucky Brooks won – Last night, I know that uh, Kuiper's done them, and yeah, Kuiper's came out this morning. I think. Yeah, it's it's it, interesting because it seems like it's one or two positions. 
I've seen some that are defensive tackle, and then some are quarterback for the Seahawks. And I haven't seen yeah. any. I don't know that I've seen another position like linebacker. I thought maybe you get some linebacker. Maybe they don't feel like there's a linebacker that'll be available at sixteen. Or I don't. I don't really know. But there's been sort of a trend to this point, and we're we're really early. I mean, before the workouts and combine and all that stuff. So all of this will change, but. Uh, the most common names popping up are defensive tackles, uh, Byron Murphy out of Texas, and then Jerson Newton out of uh, Illinois, both defensive tackles. And then the quarterback, seen a couple times now, J.J. McCarthy yeah. out of Michigan. Well, and how surprised are you? I guess, you know, I I had asked, you know, guys around uh, around the league that that know, you know, where, where do you rank Michael Penix? And, and same thing with Bo Nix. And I think of the four that I've seen – Bo Nix has been in one mock draft. Now, these are going to change drastically, but Penix, nowhere to be found. I think if they did it after the Texas game, he would have been. I mean, because I heard the conversations. I didn't see the mock drafts, but the conversations were, how does he, is he as good or is he a better prospect than Caleb Williams? Is he better than, you know, he was he was in that conversation amongst the top two or three quarterbacks in the in the whole entire of college football. And then after the game against Michigan, where he and just the offense in general did not look good, didn't play well and credit to Michigan. All of a sudden he's hardly mentioned as even a first rounder. Yeah. Much less in that, you know, upper echelon of quarterbacks. Well, I think, you know, as far as, yeah, that that's uh, surprising to me. And I, you know, I'd asked a couple of, you know, uh, scouts and whatnot, you know, where does, I didn't ask where he ranks it, but I'm like, are there, are there better quarterbacks in, in this draft than Michael Penix, and it was, yes. Hmm. Yes, there are. So I, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. Is J.J. McCarthy – I mean, I'm judging him on that game in particular. I didn't watch a bunch of Michigan games. I saw highlights. So yeah. in that particular game, I thought he was a tough guy. He made some good decisions when he ran the ball. I wasn't that dazzled with him overall just the way he passed. I mean, he didn't do much through the air at all in that game. And yeah. he's, But he just seems to be a guy that, that some are pointing, and Mel, as you point out, talking on ESPN this morning, saying Seattle is the perfect landing spot for J.J. McCarthy. I think J.J. needs them, kind of like Patrick Mahomes did, sit, watch, and learn. Maybe not the three years like Jordan Love, but maybe for a year. And he'll have that opportunity in Seattle. I thought it was a really good spot. You think about Situation there. New head coach, same GM though, and John Schneider, the team that has a quarterback. But now you get JJ as the heir apparent. I think it's a good spot for JJ McCarthy to gradually develop in the NFL, not have to be the guy right away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you felt about him, Dave. I, I thought, eh. Now maybe you know, you look at his numbers; they don't even compare to what Penix did. But you know, okay, it's. As, as, as we've talked about with Purdy and all of that, it's it's not always, you know, the, the flashiest stats or the biggest school that, that mean you're you're entitled to uh, or you're going to secure success at the next level. So yeah. he, he could be a stud at the next level. I'm just going off what he looked like in that game. Tough guy, some good decisions, but overall was I like blown away like this guy's got an arm and this guy, look at the way he threw that. Look at look at the arm talent, Dave, as you like to say. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I but I, that. what was your takeaway from him? Well, I mean, I just I haven't seen all of the other quarterbacks and it's so that position is so not about, you know, watching one game and seeing him throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns and no interceptions when, you know, it's like, well, their defensive backs are terrible or. Or whatever, but yeah, I mean, as far as ranking quarterbacks, yeah, he didn't blow my skirt up, that's for sure. But you know, I think I think the the general theme this year, no matter what, and I think more than any other year, 
you know, we, when we talk about drafting for need, no way. There's no way that's going to happen. If there's somebody there at that 16th spot, whether it's a quarterback or whatever, that they love, um, just like last year, you know, with, uh, with Witherspoon, I mean, they really didn't need a corner. Not really at all. I mean, we were talking about even Kobe Bryant could move out and play out there. And we had Michael Jackson and Trey Brown and Reek Woolen. So, yeah, I think it, it's uh, – I would love to see somebody on defense. You mentioned earlier Byron Murphy who had five sacks. This Jerzon Newton had seven sacks, you know, for a defensive tackle inside. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that's kind of where – I mean, that would. What would be the one position where if they draft you, like, well, we really didn't need that running back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because you've gone second round two years in a row with your running backs. With Ken Walker and Charbonnet yeah. were both very young. You know, Charbonnet was just coming off his rookie year, second year for Ken Walker. I mean, we've seen how they get hurt. Certainly, and the Seahawks have been a victim of that in the past. But that would. At 16, if we're talking about that pick, and they just had a running back they liked a lot there, I'd be like, come on, man. Yeah, come on. A running back at 16 these days is considered a reach no matter who it is. And yeah. then for a team that's already taken two of them in the last two drafts that high, that would be the one. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, look, what do they need the most? Linebacker, pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to that they're going to necessarily come up with uh, with somebody there. So, yeah. But J.J. J. J. McCarthy, it's it's really funny to watch like Bo Nix and Penix and just been tracking them all year and looking at how good they are and what their stats are. And like I said, only one, st- and I think it was um, our guy, Ryan, uh, is it Ryan Lewis? The guy from CBS that we talk to every year. Um, Ryan Wilson. Wilson, there you go. Um, you, that he had Bo Nix at, I think, 17 or 18. So, And we're looking at those two. We're going back and forth as far as touchdowns, lack of interceptions, yardage, things like that. And, and yet... These other uh, quarterbacks end up going before them. So, uh, but you know, I look. This is I think the it's somewhat reliable because what you know, uh, Mel Kiper and Ryan Wilson are going off of is they know people in the NFL, whether mm-hmm. they're current scouts or you know ex scouts, and then you know some of the people that do the the mock drafts that you know have all the numbers. They're just kind of going off of what they're hearing from those guys, and that's going to change. That's going to change pretty significantly. But yeah, it was just kind of odd to me that you didn't see Penix anywhere. Yeah, I mean, he led all of college football in passing yards. He had 4,900 yards, and they ended up, you know, if you want to talk about top 25 teams that they faced and beat, they went undefeated. Yeah. You know, he had 36 touchdowns, 11 picks. He had a tremendous year, completed almost 66% of his passes. So I don't know if that's recency bias again, going off that last game. Didn't look great against Michigan. The entire offense struggled. Um, but is is that why these mock drafts are looking that way, where he was in that conversation amongst you know the best quarterbacks, at, whether it's Jaden Daniels, all these guys, and now he's not even considered a first-rounder by some? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll trust them, you know, that they, they, as you said, they're talking to people. They're talking to people in front offices perhaps, but – there's still the workouts. There's still the combine. There's still the senior bowl, which Penix will play in. So the, all of this is going to be thrown up in the air and, and reshuffled after all of that information comes in. Somebody's going to have a great workout. Somebody's going to have a terrible one. Somebody's going to yeah. look fantastic at the combine. Somebody's not going to do so well at the combine. So it's all going to shift. And you and, mentioned Penix going to the senior, senior bowl. bowl. Yeah. I think that's the most important because you're going there with a, a staff, you know, a professional coaching staff and things like that. Yeah. But. 
Yeah, sometime between now and then, it's definitely going to change. And, you know, look at this NFC Championship matchup, what we have here. I think it's a beautiful thing. You get the, the first pick of the draft in 2017 and the last pick of the draft. And it's pretty cool. I think, uh, I think Brock Purdy's probably favored. Uh, a tweet or a text before we move on. I put as much stock into what Kuiper says as much as I believe in reading tea leaves. Kuiper's an idiot that most intelligent fans ignore. Says the two, He's, three, speaking, the three six zero speaking for all intelligent people. Mm, look at you. <laughs> Knows a Who lot do of you people. Think you are. <laughs> all right, I wasn't on. consulted. It's been a very slow Major League Baseball offseason, but some news today could change things for teams around baseball, including the Mariners. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on seven ten. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Dave and I are marveling at Mel Kuyper Jr.'s hair right now. It's 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 multicolored. He's losing it, certainly. It's not it's not nearly as uh you know, luscious and thick as it used to be. <laughs> luscious. Uh his luscious locks. I feel like he's had that same style. Like he hasn't had a lot of recession. It's been pretty much the same. Look at some early. He had kind of almost like a pompadour kind of going a big tall. It's unbelievable what that dude has done and what he remembers because Well only dumb people listen to him, by the way. Remember that. Yeah, we heard that from the three six oh. Uh but <laughs> yeah, I mean he did a whole thing on me. Yeah. Uh my when I got drafted. And you know, and then when we talked to him, he remembered all the details. Of so my, now we know why you like him. It's it's no, it's freaky, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, he's got good it, recall. It, it is unbelievable the things that that he's done, and especially now. This was ten, twelve years ago. He may have, re, you know, cleaned this out of his database by now. But he'd still. give you a blank look, saying, "I'm your last name is what? Yeah, why? It sounds well, well. First, he'd look at you and go, "Wait." You played in the NFL. That's what you look at me anyway. <laughs> anyway, he's 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 looking interesting these days, and this is when he really the spotlight shines on him and and Bucky Brooks and all of those people that put out the mock drafts. You know, one point oh, two point oh, two point five, all that. So we're going to see tons of them between now and the combine and every every workout and all of that. Meanwhile, we we talked about uh, the three new additions to baseball's Hall of Fame, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton elected to baseball's Hall of Fame. And so far this offseason, outside of that initial rush, it's been very little going on. You know, the big names are gone. Uh, there's still Cody Bellinger hanging around out there. And we, we talked to John Morosi about this, and we'll get into some of the signings that have been out there. But just, you know, hey, why why has this been moving so slowly this offseason? Principally, one of the dynamics that we have left in the market is that Scott Boris has a lot of big-time free agents left, and he tends to have the mark that he wants to hit with the value. And unless you reach that level, he doesn't move. And And when that happens with multiple players... It clogs the marketplace. And in this case, Blake Snell is his client. Jordan Montgomery is his client. Cody Bellinger is his client. J.D. Martinez is his client. Reese Hoskins is his client. So there a lot of the main guys that we're still talking about at this juncture on both the pitching side and the position player side, Matt Chapman has one more name, so that makes six of the big guys that I just mentioned. And so I think that's where we're at. There are a lot of teams, and we've just seen news in the last 48 hours regarding the, the TV streaming piece, and I think that has been uh, certainly for the Mariners and other teams uh, something to reckon with uh, for a lot of their budgets and a lot of their planning. That's an excuse for some teams, uh, including the Mariners. But 
he's boy. Well, first of all, Boris has got a monopoly here. I was going to say, how he's many, got everybody? It is ridiculous. And, and he's playing a game of chicken with everybody. Like, well, no, that's not the number we're right. looking for. So we'll just hang out. I mean, I would listen to him <laughs> if he was my agent. He was kind of like Marvin Demoff was that way. Remember the mm -hmm. the um, he's Marino and Elway, and you know he was always the best. And you know he he always got what he wanted. It was it was amazing, but I feel like that's Scott Boris now. He was down on the sidelines when we played the Chargers a couple of years ago, and I think he was Pete Carroll's roommate or something like that. Yeah, there was some, uh, or they hmm. were in the same freshman dorm or something like that. So, but yeah, he's and it looks like it's a tried and true uh, technique there or process that he goes through and just holds off till the end. And you know, when people get a little bit more desperate and the season's about to start. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just it's amazing that he's got that that many of the remaining appealing names that are out there. The, right. the, the, well, you know, Reese Hoskins and Bellinger and Blake Snell and all these people. So he's just kind of digging his heels in. It sounds like going, all right, well, we'll just hang out until the prices. See, these uh, contracts look a little more suitable for my people out here. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's a couple deals that took place. Uh, Aroldis Chapman, who's now 35 years old and still one of the hardest throwing pitchers uh, out there signed a one-year deal with the Pirates, $10.5 million for one year for Aroldis Chapman. So that's for an organization like the Pirates, who yeah. are historically cheap. They don't spend a lot of money to spend that much on a on a bullpen arm, uh, presumably your closer. It's kind of interesting. That was kind very of, curious. Yeah, and then our guy uh, James Paxton. James Paxton is is yet another new addition to the Dodgers. The Dodgers are buying everybody. Everybody's going to play for the Dodgers, but he's. This is amazing. He's. He, you know, this is a guy who has dealt with a ton of injury. Um, he's 35 years old. He made only six starts from 2020 to 2022 after undergoing a procedure to repair a herniated disc and remove a cyst from his back, as well as Tommy John surgery. And he signs a deal for $11 million, and then I think there's another bonus in there where he can make another million dollars. So he's, he's in a position to make $12 million where he's hardly pitched at all, and he's 35 years old. What was the – refresh my memory when, when he was here in Seattle, Paxton, mm -hmm. uh, and – was it like the very first game, or was it in spring training or something like that when he went down? First he game. Or? I think it was 24. Is either 14 or 24 pitches, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he was done. And he was their big off-season acquisition that year. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, he's um, – is there any chance that Aroldis Chapman has not had Tommy John surgery? He has to have. But 35 uh, and still throwing heat like that, that's, he, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if he's ever had it. That's a good question. I don't know if he has or not. I mean, he's, he's a freak in terms of – and that's a guy who looks like he's been hitting the gym over the past couple of years because he was oh, never the yeah. big muscly guy. He's He is yoked now, if you've seen what, yeah, he, what he looks like. 6'4", 235. But he's he's Man. got the traps going. His shoulders look decidedly – everything, yeah. he just looks bigger. He looks like he's spent a lot of time in the weight room, but – yeah, he's a he's a guy in the story here about him. Says uh, he is Chapman is the hardest throwing pitcher in baseball since velocity tracking was introduced to the game and pitched vital innings for Texas Rangers. Blah blah blah. But with a fastball averaging averaging more than ninety nine miles per hour, struck out one hundred and three and fifty eight and a third, walked thirty six, allowing four home runs with a three oh nine ERA. So the hardest throwing since they've been tracking velocity. Wow. 
It's just amazing. We got we got Andres Munoz. Yes. So that that's kind of exciting. I, I I love Seattle's bullpen. I mean, it's it's been really fun to watch over the last couple of three years that some of these guys like Brash with that ridiculous slider and then Munoz throwing the heat and you know and then you know you just happen into a guy like Justin Topa although now it's not so much about happening into it it's like no, they, they've got a really good thing going as far as bullpen goes yeah they and they've got a knack that's where their strength is the Mariners they just you, we've talked about it a million times these names you've Penn Murphy who the heck is that yep. Topa who Seawald What's a seawall? And every one of these guys, they did Gabe Spire, you know, just names out of nowhere that they turn into, you know, arms that can be relied upon, that you have a, a level of confidence when they take the hill, whether they're their closer or the setup guy, whatever their role is, that is by far and away their strength. So, yeah, they, I've, I don't worry about anybody they bring in. If I've never heard of them or they've got an ERA over five, I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll the figure benefit. it out. Yeah, yeah. they'll. They'll get it figured out, right? You know, so that's just that's their calling card. All right, coming up, he might be under the radar, but Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka is uh, an interesting wild card in the Seahawks search, and we're going to learn more about him from ESPN's Giants reporter Jordan Renan. He's going to join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.